Please welcome the wickedly talented one and only Adele Fuzzy. There's a mistake. Moonlight. Best picture. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Failed Award Contenders. I believe episode six, we are here to talk Return about... Return of the Mank. I was going to say Citizen Kane, <laughs> but yes, Re- Return of the Mank. Um, we're just here to talk about Mank. It, it's a failed award contender. Uh, is it failed in our hearts? Uh, I'm my host Diego Crespo. I forgot to introduce us because uh, it's it's been a minute before we recorded again. Yeah, I'm um, rec- I'm your host Diego Crespo. I'm I'm the other one. I'm Matt Uringo. I'm recovering from COVID, so like I might sound a little stuffy while recording this episode. Well, that's okay, Matt, my co-host, because all old movies are stuffy and pretentious. Yeah, that's why they're in black and white. Yeah, and not because film didn't exist in color for a lot of the periods. You know, when I was little, I thought they filmed the 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 Kansas part of Wizard of Oz before color was invented. That was the the myth, for what I remember, anyways. It was like, oh, this was the first film in color, and so audiences were introduced to it this way. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And you know, that's a great legend. Mm-hmm. Uh, not true. Color color film existed before yeah. that and uh, just on that note too i didn't have this in my notes to bring up at all but like since we're there like color tinting and such is like that exists yeah that goes way back to like, the silent era they, like beginning. yeah that goes back to the 1800s they used to, like literally like paint on film like that used to be the move you know yeah but, and then someone else is like oh well then that's not really color film it's like okay well fuck you uh color tinting without the painting uh, aspect of it, like color tinting, still also existed. Mm-hmm. So I'll fuck it off. It wasn't and... like it just the, the leap to color wasn't this monumental thing people make it out to be. <laughs> yeah. Although I, what I, it is just became, like, like another process? What is like the the defining like co- early color film? Can you like can you think of one? I'm just gonna Google it. I'm like, what was the first color movie? Like um, again, like I think that's up for debate. But like, is there one that's like that? that is the game changer. I mean, 1939 kind of is the year where it's like, it is Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind, which is like, that's mm-hmm. a full-on color picture, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, there's a, uh, so, you know, everyone knows the, the Technicolor, mm-hmm. right? That's the big fucking, like, glamorous old Hollywood. strip Technicolor, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's why movies are so colorful back then. And um, not that everything used to be super colorful, but you know, there is something that kind of like rules about three strip Technicolor, though. Like, oh no, I love it, and that's why. And it's like the the process to make it is like it's not impossible, but it's like, well, we don't do it that way anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why I really liked Pearl because it was like, well, we have the methods to do it digitally now. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense to try that, you know. Because that's trying to be like an old, like, like it's, it's clearly got like a Wizard of Oz Disney vibe. They did that digitally with Pearl. I didn't look into how Pearl was made at all. Uh. I forget if they shot on film, but the the look of it was enhanced digitally. It looked pretty good. I, for, I really if that was the case. Like I didn't. I wasn't yeah, thinking yeah. That at all while watching it. Yeah, I, I think that's a terrific looking movie. X two, uh, different vibes, different movies, but great. Great looks to them. Yeah, um, X, X also has and, a really good looking vibe to it. 
Um, yeah. Now, also, they were made for super cheap, so it's like, hey, a lot of these fucking people out there have no fucking excuse. <laughs> if you're a truly independent film, that's different. We might, we uh, might be talking about a movie today that has no fucking excuse to look the way it does. <laughs> okay, okay, so... Uh, some last notes on, on the the invention of color film that I'm pulling up at the last yeah, minute. So like, this, is the, this is what the Google algorithm, which we were just talking about just before recording, how bad it is. This is what uh, <laughs> well, no, no. this is what that decided to elevate first. Well, no, no, okay. So let me. Uh, I'm gonna. I'll probably cut this out if it takes too long to find it. But there was discussion of color film uh, versus black and white film recently on Twitter. <laughs> Um, oh, because someone was shit. Oddly enough, on Wizard of Oz, someone was like, "Oh, this is so low budget." It's it's one of those like those snarky, cynical irony poison like social media people that who is was, like truly on a deranged take to be like the Wizard of Oz looks low budget. Like, I know, and then so someone quote tweeted it, "Bro, it was the first film in color," like mm-hmm. which is you know we discussed not true, uh, but a very funny quote tweet. Um, and then there's an account I follow called Movie Silently. That yeah, I follow them too. Basically just, yeah, yeah, a great account posts about the history go of, off of silent film. <laughs> they do. Which I, they I, do. I, in a way, I appreciate more than yeah, those. Yeah. So. Um, and so they, they mentioned that the first earliest commercially viable natural color without like the, the advent of like painting the frames and such was kinema color, which was a process that uh, began uh, being screened for the public in 1908. Uh, the Turner color process was earlier, but um, it didn't really work. And like the most modern footage we see of it was actually stitched together in Photoshop. Mm. <laughs> so it's like, it's not like true. Yeah. Uh, and then the, uh, this is the, also, the Technicolor. I'm assuming, because like there's that era of film where like you would go to like a movie house and there would be like a narrative comedy short a movie and then like nature footage and shit, right? Like where you just mm-hmm. go to the movies and watch anything. So I'm assuming there was a long history of just that, like what today would probably be called like tech demos of color for a few years. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. That's why like, I, and this is another fucking tangent, but somewhat connected. But like when, like I'll sometimes watch a movie, like maybe avatar or something. I'm like, yeah, it's a really like impressive tech demo. Like, I don't mean it like in a negative yeah, yeah. fashion, I think some people do, and it was like, no, this used to be such a monumental event to be able to see fictionalized worlds that people bought into, that they went to the theaters to see stuff that didn't really have, like, uh, a, a narrative, even. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just like, this is what we can do with technology now, and people are like, ooh, ah. And, like, that's cool. Like, there's nothing wrong well, with that. It, you can go you know? to, like, the 50s, and if you look at, like, what some of the highest grossing movies of the 50s were, like, some of those years the top 10 will have like just like footage of Niagara Falls that was shot in CinemaScope. Like, <laughs> and it was like, people went out to the theaters to see that. Like, or think about like, again, like the Walt Disney company, we forget how many years they basically made their bread and butter just doing nature documentaries. Yeah. Like, throwing lemmings off of cliffs and shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> committing uh, and I just want to finish. What? I want to finish mentioning that, um, that the initial Technicolor was that red and teal two-strip Technicolor look that I really love. You could see it replicated in uh, Martin Scorsese's The Aviator mm. to great effect, I think. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, there, there's like, there's weird instances. We don't have to get into all of it because it's not really relevant to the Mank discussion, but 
like tinting um color prints through like stencil applied mm-hmm. tints and stuff like that like the original Cyrano de Bergerac <laughs> uh and um Georges Melier who you know trip to the moon and stuff like yeah. that who um famously apparently employed a lot of women to color his films and it's like wow truly uh throughout the history of film there were like a bunch of people who just went unremarkable well, yeah, I mean that's who were like essential to the the viability of the industry they were all and the tech. Like, hey, we just never hear about them. all the tech people for a while. Was where the women got like shuffled off to, you know. And what's weird is they let women be directors before the director became like this really important position, you know. Like back in yeah, the day, the it used to be like to the in. director just kind of like babysits the movie. Like that was the idea, right? Like now we understand. Yeah. That, like no, director's like actually an important position. But before we understood that, we let women do it all the time. <laughs> Now, as someone who has not seen the film, has only seen the opening and kind of got a vibe of it, and I, I, I'm going to watch the whole film eventually, I want to ask you, Matt Garingo, mm. is this exact discussion why people are rallying around Babylon? Babylon probably, well, I don't know. I was here, I've been hearing takes on Babylon all week, and I just want to, like, break legs. Like, Well, I'm just saying, like, like the idea of, like, remarking upon well, no. the formerly, like, unremarked artists that kind of get yeah. lost in the shuffle. Babylon of history, has know? this really great on-paper idea about the history of Hollywood, which is that it was started by a bunch of carnival freaks. <laughs> like, that it was barkers and just outsiders coming in. And the the push and pull between, you know, the technical aspects of film and the weird, like, carny showmanship aspects of it and kind of the, the money men that rule it all. We see, you know, the industry starts off it's a lot more chaotic. There's no sound. It's just like run, people are running around. People are getting killed making movies. Everything's a lot more debaucherous. You know, and it's more... There's a more diversity. There's women making movies. There's gays on film sets. There's people of color. It's a lot more diverse. Oh, I gotta say. I gotta say, my boy F.W. Murnau, R.I.P. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy who, who directed Nosferatu and got ran out of Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, like, he, he's the man who invented the look of the modern vampire. Mm-hmm. He was openly gay, and it was he. He did not have a problem with at least not like a a fucking horrendous one. I'm sure there were fucking problems in but history. Like, you know. Just to say, in history, the horror genre seems to be dominated by gays in the background. You know, like <laughs> yeah. it's just like that shit is so fucking gay. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's this thing of like, yes, that's how it starts, and then sound comes in. This is like this is just what Babylon is. I'm sorry, but like sound comes in. Everything now, okay, You have everything has to be locked down, controlled. You go from, you know, tents, essentially, out in the middle of fields to now you're on these locked down sets. It becomes this very technical process. The industry, as a response, becomes more conservative. And then, like, the movie kind of gets to a place where it's like, this is the push and pull of Hollywood history, right? Like, that right. It, it it's this ebb and flow of debauchery to kind of a reactionary conservatism. And the movie kind of ends with this argument that, like, we are in, like, you know, Avatar, everyone talks about, like, that does the montage of movies at the end, you know, it, the movie ends. Yeah, I heard about The movie that. ends with uh, David Elric's top ten movies of the year or whatever the fuck, like. That's very funny. That's, that's the vibe it has, like, and it's, it's like, editing is my passion, like, that's how that movie ends, and one of the, everyone was like, why'd they put Avatar in there? And, like, not, you know, as someone who is not the biggest Avatar fan, it makes perfect sense, it's like we are Avatar 
we are a hundred percent like Avatar is the beginning of we are back in this we're back to the soundstage world, right? Like it, yeah, it's, we've yeah. totally gone back to that. And hopefully in the future we will see that other crest. Like it'll go back the other way where people it turns more uh DIY and on the street and then and, and more do it yourself type stuff and outsidery. Um all that's like th- that sounds like a great movie, right? Like doesn't mm-hmm. that sound like it's going to be the best movie ever? Um, yeah, I mean, hey, I, I can still love it. You probably will, because you're Diego. But uh, the movie's three fucking hours long, and it's boring as shit and was directed by a virgin. So, uh, it's... <laughs> it's that's, that's what really... It's, the, the, the approach to sex in that movie is kind of what threw me off. Like... It really, like, that's where I'm like, this person doesn't know what they are saying. Like, and I'm not going to act like I'm fucking, you know, like fucking Nicholson in the 70s or something. But, like, it's, it has all the vibe of some, like, you know, like, when you were younger and, like, your friend would be like, do you see this fucked up shit online? And they would, like, show it to you, you know, like. Yeah. But that's what that movie feels like. And, you know, like, you look it up and it's like, it's shocking and then it's like not shocking very quickly, right? Like yeah, it's yeah. just like okay, I guess this is what the world is out there. <laughs> like <laughs> it's shocking the first few times. Like nowadays, people will be like, "You're not gonna believe what this person, this this fucked up thing people are into." And I'm like, "That's not that shocking." <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, there are people who want to have sex with airplanes. What? You know what? I, I shouldn't be surprised. again. Yeah, like see, that's the reaction. You're like. What? And then you're like, you know what? That's not that weird. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, it is, but like, you know, it's 2023. There's going to be some shit out there. Yeah. I'm going to say, like, the reason why Scorsese could do a movie with cocaine energy is because Scorsese did enough cocaine to kill a micronation. Like, he knows what it's like. <laughs> I don't think Damien Chavezel has, like, he doesn't have that lived experience. And when he tries to do it, it has the... It's so weird where it's like there is so much debauchery on the screen in Babylon and you feel none of it, you know? Like it it was oddly embarrassing for the guy. <laughs> like it, I was just asking if it was why people liked the movie, but I, I'm glad I got a, I, a I'm just, I, rant well, out of it. Because people were already reclaiming it. Like I knew it was gonna happen. And it's like that and blonde, I'm telling you. Like ten years well, from now, people are gonna be like, "Those were misunderstood, brilliant pieces of filmmaking," and I'm just, I am having none of it. And I have seen neither, although I did like literally all of other Andrew. Dominic I know Andrew films. Dominic was like a bummer. Like, see, yeah, I mean, then you just hear about him and you're like, "Oh yeah. shit!" Well, the interviews <laughs> like, didn't help much. The interviews are the worst interviews maybe any director has ever given outside of the the interview Joss Whedon did last year. Oh, yeah. That made him sound like a psychopath because, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> but, 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 okay. Well, Babylon's so important because it is also about the history of Hollywood, you know? Yes, um, yes. And I just, I'm just, I'm kind of, I'm just baffled by Babylon still, you know, like. Well, here, here's another take again, having not seen the film, not judging the quality of the film, because I don't, I, I have no um, qualifications Diego's gonna to Diego's going to get the best picture it. in about a month. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm predicting that. Uh, nope and Fablemans are kind of unbeatable oh. for me. But uh, that's going to, here's Paul what's going to happen. People are going to be like, everyone 
was sucking the dick of the Fablemans in 2022 when it should have gone to Babylon. That'll be the narrative. I like Damien Chazelle's other movies. He's not Spielberg. I've, I've never been that. But anyway, the point I, I want to make now as we pivot back to Mank is that uh, Mank comes from a very controversial origin from a controversial film critic, mm-hmm. Pauline Kael. Well, do we want to say what Mank is about <laughs> before we get into the what who wrote? All right, the all right. Yeah, maybe I tried to segue too early. Uh, Mank Mank is about Herman J. Mankiewicz, the co-writer of Citizen Kane, and some would argue the only writer of Citizen Kane. Um, I want to say that that is a baseless accusation that has been discredited and disproven uh, decades ago. And um, people continue to both tout it and discredit it. So I just want to I want to put that out there. Uh, it's directed by David Fincher, uh, stars Gary Oldman as Mank. <laughs> um, Gary Oldman, Matt. who uh, was older than Mank at the time of the film's making, than Mank was when he died. <laughs> um, I want to say you can tell, and I remember. In the lead up to the film, I was like really excited for another David Fincher movie, and David Fincher was like, "Yeah, you know, I got some shit for that, uh, for casting him. He just looks so much older, not trying to like de-age him or anything. But you know, you look at him, and he just looked like that when he was younger because he drank so much. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Yeah, he looked older because he's all fucked up and like an a uh, uh, an alcoholic. Like he suffered from like like a horrible bout of alcoholism yeah. uh, until he died, basically. And ba- alcohol, I almost said alcohol." Alcohol back then was basically just poison. Like it wasn't. It wasn't like today. Like it was like basically just poison. And people would be like, "Yep, I got a bottle." Like, I mean, prohibition didn't come out of fucking nowhere. I'm just gonna say that. Like, it, yes, it was a mistake, but like, we were handing up. We were just poisoning people. <laughs> um. And yeah, he, he did look rough, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think we uh... made that joke about we we talked about this on another episode recently where people were like, "Oh, what are they sixty four? And you're like, "They're twenty seven years old." <laughs> like, yeah, and it's like, "Oh, because they've been working in a coal mine." <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, people looked older because life conditions were worse. Mm-hmm. Also, if you're curious why Americans look so much worse, uh, is because the FDA doesn't actually regulate truly dangerous shit that can go into our food and maybe cut back on bread uh and then for the foreseeable future don't have to stop eating it but you know maybe uh go to places that bake their own bread or make your own yeah i don't know you know you you gotta uh, be careful you gotta be careful with what you put in your body so i'm just gonna shotgun this coca-cola i have next to me (laughs) but yeah um so mank mank an original netflix film one of their big, clearly one of their after, big pushes for Best Picture nominations. Yeah, which I guess will just never happen, but after... No, wait, I have to say, uh, the new All Quiet on the Western Front is like kind of sweeping European nominations mm. and is up for Best Picture and Best Cinematography. If that wins, though, people will me. riot. Like that... I will riot. Yeah. I'm going to go back to war with Germany if it wins. <laughs> All right, that's like, that's a great lesson to take away. Yeah. From All Quiet on well, the Western if, Front. Well, if you haven't seen the fucking movie... Um, it, I saw about half of it, and I was like, I think I get what they're trying here, <laughs> and then I stopped. Like Michael Bay had more restraint in Ambulance than that movie does. Yeah. 
it's trying you know it's just it's one of those that thinks like the best way to depict the horrors of war is to just show the horrors of war as much as possible yeah Yeah. look and to be fair it's very technically adept Mm -hmm. everyone is very talented everyone trying their talent wrong on that they're using their talent incorrectly Mm. on the wrong material that's all that happened but gotta say that this is uh fincher's follow-up to gone girl which was a movie that made 370 million on a 60 million dollar budget an r-rated thriller uh and he doesn't make a movie for a good chunk of change like that was like it was like at least six years right like yeah 2020 yeah Yeah. and after his you know in, in in a row he does the social network um, he does The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which kind of underperformed for what they wanted it to do, but that was just the studio, like, way overestimating what The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo would do. Yeah. And then Gone Girl. It's like this weird run. He's doing great. And then he just, he disappears in the Netflix land. And there's, like, this weird six years where he is starting projects and none of them are getting made. And he's, like, burning bridges everywhere. Like. We're... Yeah, we've talked about it before, but, like. I think people forgot he almost did World War Z too. Like, yeah, he was like, it wasn't a hypothetical. Like, it was close to happening. Mm-hmm. It was gonna. That's yeah. that's strange. It was really close. They were like, ju- they were about to start shooting. Like, the other was he almost did. Uh, he was really close to doing Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea for Disney. You remember that's this? That's right. That's right. Yeah, that was one of those where like Disney was like trying things. Um, there was also the, like, will he do a sequel to Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which has never happened, and they turned into that weird girl in the spider's web, which no one remembers. Oh. Um, uh. Yeah. He, Tough. uh, he was, they, he almost did the Angelina Jolie Cleopatra movie that never happened. Do you remember? I did not know that one. Do you remember Whoa. this? No. And here's something I, he almost, he also almost did Steve Jobs, was the other one. Because it was kind of going to be like him and what's his fuck teaming together Sorkin. again. Yeah, Sorkin after the social network. Like it was like a match. You're like, this is perfect for him. And I, if I remember correctly, uh, this was in uh, like Steve Jobs is a big part of those uh, the Sony hacks. Remember when all yes. those leaked? Fuck, that's right. Oh my god. And, uh, who's the woman that was involved in that? Um, Amy Pascal Amy, was the head yeah. of Sony at that time. Amy Pascal, the head of Sony. And she... Some some news story broke that was like, Fincher isn't going to do Steve Jobs. He signed on to do a different movie. And she, like, emails it to him. And the headline is like that. And then the, the other story is Adam Driver being looked at for Star Wars sequel. Like, this is when that news story broke, right? Mm-hmm. And she emails him the headlines and is like, what the fuck is this? Like, she was pissed. And Fincher's <laughs> response was, I don't know. Adam Driver seems like a weird choice. And you're like, I'm like, you're doing this to the head of Sony Pictures? <laughs> like, I don't remember that one. Whoa. That's I remember crazy. that. I remember that. Yeah. Well, there's like, there, there was him. He was talking shit about people for a while. Like, and he kept... Signing up with studios and being like, I'm going to make a movie with them. And then they just didn't happen. And he ends up at Netflix 
where he does Mank, and he's done the he did the Killer, which should be out later this year, right? That's Netflix, correct? Yes, that's correct. That's the correct. Other thing he does is Mindhunter, which is like this big kind of crossover hit of a show that then like they're just like ah, I got too expensive, we're not doing season three, and you're like what? Like that doesn't make any sense. Like <laughs> what what happened? And then he did that. Uh, noir. Remember noir? Uh, or whatever. Noir. No, vo- uh, oh, voyeur. 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 Was that what it was? Voir? Because it's oh, noir right. with a V instead. So like voir. Yeah. Which sounds a little too close to voir. So I know. I know. I, guess I don't want to bring it up. Doesn't know what that is. Um, but there's like a hundred percent chance he does. <laughs> I don't know, man. David Fincher's weird. And like David Fincher is strange. Yes. And that thing dropped, like. It just dropped it was six episodes no one even cared like there wasn't even a like eh kind of interesting or like there weren't well, even there, people there's some there's some there was like characters one thing attached. about it where like someone involved sucked right like uh, yeah at least, at least one person involved sucks yeah um and i'm not and then there's i'm not gonna uh, comment on that fully but yeah uh, just, there's other people who are just annoying um but there was also like the guy who invented the YouTube video yeah, essay. Yeah, the guy who should be tried in The Hague for... Wait, whoa, whoa, what did he do? I, the blight he has placed upon this nation. Of, yeah, but I, I think he recognized what was happening and that's why he stopped making videos. Yes, but he is still culpable you know? in those crimes. Sure, uh, but yeah. when you create, you also destroy, do you not? Yeah, is that uh, fucking Werner Von Braun's defense of the V2 rocket? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> huh? So, um, no. What's the what's the what's the, the quote? You we create our own demons. Sure, you know? whatever. Um, Tony Stark. Yeah, two thousand thirteen. Yeah, great movie. <laughs> that is a great movie. Um, uh, but I, I also, it, it was just shocking that like it did basically nothing. You know. Yeah. Um, and Fincher went. It felt very quickly. Fincher went was like a god to film Twitter for a while, right? Yeah. Like. And then it was like, um, it felt like a month before Mank drop, everyone turned on him. And then people were like, we're not, we're not that hype for Mank. And I don't know if it, like, I don't know if it retroactive. I don't know if people went back and were like, fuck all the shit he did. But like Mank was definitely not warmly received despite being uh, well, his first movie in six years. Mank wasn't warmly received. Um, I also think the way we talk about how we make movies now, like with the advent of social media and how stuff has evolved. You and I were talking uh, before the show about how like we had these better under like standings of how culture shifting, Mm -hmm. who is responsible for like kind of sustaining that culture, how many people kind of get tossed by the wayside because of it. And I think because we know more than ever, like more people know more than ever how movies are made, um, what goes into it, the, the crew's, the hard work and labor that goes into it. And unfortunately how some people maybe take advantage of people's time and uh, abilities to work in these environments that I think most people frown upon Fincher's like 1000 yeah. takes. Well, uh, yeah. That now. probably, cause I also remember at the time that discourse bubbled up again of like, uh, Christopher Nolan doesn't have chairs on his set or something like that. Remember that? Was that Nolan? Yeah. Which I yeah. Think, I don't even know if that's I true. I think I'm not like he was make like someone was making a joke. I think and it got blown out of proportion. But 
Yeah, and but I will say what's weird about Fincher is he has that like he does a thousand takes type things, but most people like the people that work with him seem to like working with him. You know, yeah. Like it's not like he's like he does a thousand takes to break people in like a Kubrick esque fashion. You know, <laughs> it's like I, I like the people who like Mindhunter allegedly had a very similar production for like a TV show. Like they did a lot of that, which is partly why the budget was so huge, and. I, all the people who worked on Mindhunter were like, we love doing it, like, which mm-hmm. is interesting. Um, the only person I know who, like, really didn't like it was, uh, I know Downey Jr. wasn't happy on Zodiac. Uh, I also think uh, Jesse Eisenberg on Social Network hmm. mentioned, like, that it was a lot. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm misremembering, but... Well, there's a difference between them um... going, like, it was a lot, and, like, I believe Downey Jr., like, started like pissing in bottles on the set as like a form of protest against like <laughs> Jesus Christ. Happening. Yeah. Wasn't happy. Pre Iron Man. And yeah. And David Fincher, of course, because he's a maniac, was like, I will use the friction of this to further the scene or whatever the fuck. When does he is Zodiac the because it's digital. Once he starts being able to shoot on digital, he's like, I can do as many fucking takes as I want. Like that's when Fincher really yeah. loses it. I th- I think it's Zodiac. Yeah, because what's before Zodiac? Like Panic, Panic Room? Room, which again, there's another it... gap between Panic Room and Zodiac. Yeah, that's a little wild. And 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 Panic Room is like his bounce back success after Fight Club bombed, which people don't remember. Fight Club did not do well initially. Yeah, Fight Club bombed. Oh, when is the game? The game's right before that. Damn, uh, yeah. he was just like knocking him out right yeah. after uh, Seven. Well, it's weird, just Alien 3, which is like a disaster of a production, right? Yeah, which is like, the best movie, most, but yes. Most directors would not recover from that. And then it's just like, he does 7, and 7 also feels like a movie where people would have just violently rejected it before we got to know who Fincher was, you know? And mm-hmm. instead people were like, no, we, we liked it. Like, everyone kind of liked <laughs> 7. Like, yeah. And you're like, really? And um, it's still one of those movies that people talk about. And then, yeah, and then the game, then Fight Club, which is like this oddly cultural defining film with, yeah. a, with a, a troubling arc that's not, I don't know if that's necessarily the movie's fault, but. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's one of those movies where I'm like, yeah, I, I find that movie fascinating. You know, I don't even say I love it. Don't really talk about it with people, though. Um, <laughs> just, I feel like there's an air about the people that talk about that movie regularly. And, and there was I also, don't be associated with I don't know if you remember, there was also like a worry that Gone Girl would have a similar effect on people. Do you remember this? I missed, I missed that completely. Well, because Gone Girl, a big part of it, spoilers for Gone Girl. I'm about to spoil Gone Girl big time, but you should see it. But like, You should. It's a great movie. Yeah, uh, Amazing Amy, Roseman Pike, in that movie is like a fucking monster who like fra- has been like framing people for crimes like her whole life, right? And mm-hmm. there's even a sequence where like her like college boyfriend is like, she framed me for rape, right? Like, yeah. which is like, this is like right before Me Too really takes off too. And people were like, are people going to use this movie <laughs> as an argument to like defend monsters? You know, like, yeah, I remember that being, and to me, Gone Girl is like borderline satirical about like the insane length someone would have to go <laughs> to like a woman would have to go to frame crimes like this. Right. Yeah, like, I just remember that. I think the, I think Gone Girl, in a way that like we weren't paying attention. 
I think what Gone Girl really leads to is the boom of true crime obsessives. I think inadvertently Gone Girl is a part of that. I would agree with that. Uh, uh, I, I, like I said, this is not my take. This is uh, Jay Bauman of Red Letter Media's that uh, true crime is fight club for wine moms. <laughs> and I'm like, that's that's. I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. think that's uh, also the target audience of Gone Girl in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, you know, Gone Girl, like, just since this is related to Fincher Talk, too, like, Gone Girl is such a defining film. It just didn't, like... It was a hit. It was a hit for sure. It was a but hit. like I saw that thing it's... in a fucking packed theater, man, which I was not Me expecting. Me too. Um, and the, the audience also, I don't know why they were there because they clearly were not ready for how hardcore that movie goes. Yeah. <laughs> a girl behind me burst into tears when Neil Patrick Harris got murdered. Well, right? here, here's two things. Uh, that's coming after, like, or during How I Met Your Mother, I think. Right after or during How I Met it, Your it's, Mother. So. It's either winding down or it's, like, just ended. Like, Yeah. It's and so credit to him for taking a very different performance or very different role. Um, but then Gone Girl is also, like, there's a genre, a subgenre of thriller movies now that are just trying to be Gone Girl. Yeah. And then none of them have been good. None... I like Woman in the Window. Yeah, I know That's you do, the one. But I, it's Gone Girl meets Rear Window. Mm-hmm. Kind of rules. Uh, it's a mess. Tony Gilroy did the reshoot, so I kind of like it. Uh, and I like Joe Wright. Mm-hmm. So, fuck it. Um, but yeah, and like none of them are, are very good. And but people still like go to see them. Gillian Flynn has not written a book since Gone Girl in 2012. Huh. She did co-write Widows, the the movie. Oh yeah, I like that movie. And a show called Utopia for Amazon, which I've never seen. I don't know that one either. It's got John Cusack. Yeah. It was canceled after eight episodes. Oh, um, okay. So well, that that's a uh, huh. I wonder why that is. So maybe th- she's just very. Did no one benefit from Gone Girl? <laughs> like I know. Yeah, I mean, I remember after like that movie came out. Rosamund Pike, I was like, well, clearly she's everyone was like Rosamund like Pike. Lead. Like it's like fucking, she's the next big thing, and I don't, I can't think of anything that really happened. Um, she been in anything of no? Uh, she's in stuff. She's in another Gone Girl ripoff, and it's not as good. Oh, I care a lot. I saw that. That movie's terrible. Yeah, that movie was bad. Um, yeah. Oh, I guess she's on the Wheel of Time show. Oh, oh. Which, <laughs> oh I'm sorry. Here, you know, cast, not great. Gillian Flynn, uh, not not a jumpstart. Reese Witherspoon produced Gone Girl? Yeah, she's pretty, a lot of those, like, true crime Whoa. movies are Reese Witherspoon produced things. Uh, Jesus she, Christ. She just produced that one that was, like, controversial this year. The, uh, what the fuck was it called? Uh... Craw some crawdads. Am I getting this wrong? Uh, crawdaddy. Where the crawdads sing? No, where? The... Oh wait, no crawdaddy. <laughs> what? what? Oh, you know what? I'm thinking of of us. I'm thinking of when the dad gets the the boat in us. I don't know why I thought crawdads. This is some. I was gonna say something. <laughs> my, my it's brain. where the crawdads sing, but I had something that was like <laughs> crawdads down in a well. Like that was where my brain was going, and I'm like, that's not the title. So at least I googled it, but. That's the one where, like, the author of it might have been part of a mur- like, a real-life murder. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 
Well, you can't really predict that. Um, it, it happened like ten years before the movie. Never mind. <laughs> That's a complicated one. She's uh. Yeah, Reese Witherspoon's, like, producer on a lot of uh, interesting films like that. Um, okay, um, okay, so... Reese Witherspoon's supposed to be a real fun person. Well, here, let's... Uh, cinematography done by Jeff Cronenworth, son of the great uh, uh, Jordan Cronenworth, who shot Blade Runner, shot a bit of Alien 3 before his passing. Um, Jeff Cronenworth worked with David Fincher for basically his whole career. Uh, until Mank. <laughs> no, until Gone Girl. That's what I mean. He doesn't, he doesn't work with them on Mank. Like... No, but here's the thing. He's not even doing like interesting projects yeah. after that. He does A Million Little Pieces with Sam Taylor Johnson um, based on the uh, also discredited work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Being the Ricardos also discredited by everyone who saw the trailer and was like, no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Being the Ricardos looked fine. Did it? I I only saw trailers. Okay. <laughs> when you get past the makeup, I was like, all right, sure. <laughs> I just just Javier Bardem is is just fucking that. That's a choice. Nah. I mean, that was a choice. Someone Lucy, you got some splitting. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> this is the bad. <laughs> Who the fuck let that happen? Uh, Aaron Sorkin, he fucking vouched for it, and that's why he's a bad person. No, I don't know. Aaron's... He's a bad filmmaker. He's, I don't he's know. Got, what person he's got. He's got bad instincts he's got terrible instincts but like also uh gone girl is like one of those like ben affleck is back baby like that's where and then he does batman and then it's like batman and then alcoholism and then divorce (laughs) and like it's like immediately everything fell apart like yeah but now he's back with j-lo benifer's back yeah that's weird i don't know if that's a recovery though like time will tell time will tell Could be the greatest thing that happened to him. Could be the worst. I'm guessing he's... It it looks like he's having a good time. He seems happy. He was in that fucking Dunkin' Donuts commercial. (laughs) I didn't see that, actually. It's him, like, people... It's... He's, uh... He's the guy in the booth, whatever, when you place your order. And people are like, oh my god, it's Ben Affleck. It's one of those. He's doing what Letterman did fucking 30 years ago. (laughs) But hey, you know what? He's in on the joke. (laughs) And I appreciate that. Yeah. I love it when celebrities are can laugh at themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, ben Affleck is fucking great in Gone Girl, the movie we're not here to talk about. So we have to pivot back to Mank now. Uh, Tyler Perry's in Gone Girl. <laughs> Tyler Perry's also really Probably good the in Gone only Girl. one that actually maybe did kind of benefit from Gone Girl. Because it is a movie he where... He did. Yeah, I watched it, I'm like, Tyler Perry's actually not that bad an actor. Like, <laughs> He's perfect for that role. Tyler Perry should have been Mank. Oh my god, you're right. I'm not even joking here. <laughs> because this is my take on Mank. I don't really like this movie. I think I can appreciate some things I don't think I'm meant to appreciate it for, if that makes any sense. Because mm. um, Fincher is a, a fucking um, Pauline Kale truther. Um... He, now he now would go... be the time to explain the Pauline Kael thing. Okay, <laughs> Pauline Kael, notorious film critic, um, who look, my, I'm I'm gonna just get down to it. I think a lot of people on Letterboxd think they're the next Pauline Kael. Mm-hmm. I think they strive to create discourse. I think she also is a. Um, I, I think she's here's the thing. I think she's super talented. I think she she is a genuinely talented film critic and writer 
who just seems to have like weird uh controversial takes for the sake of controversy and i i think she she kind of uh what's the word i'm looking for here she sucked no, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't. I never met her. I don't. She know wrote her. for the New Yorker. She wrote for the New Yorker. Yes, she. I I, I guess this. She's trying to be a contrarian a lot of the time. It feels like. Well, she was also like I think she went up against a lot of. I don't know what the like popular sentiment about film, at the time, especially mm-hmm. New Hollywood, um, and in retrospect. Uh, some of her takes might look a little more on the money than maybe it was, maybe because it feels more like maybe at the time she was just trying to get a rise out of people, but she ended up being right in some ways, you know? I think that's that's the thing. Like, whenever you're trying to make something just to get a rise out of people, like, I think last week I went on my fucking tirade against Gaspar Noé. I think they're kind of cut from the same cloth a little bit. Well, I mean, and um, not not of the same ilk, but like the other big, you know, critic, I guess, that everyone talked about is like Roger Ebert, you know? And mm-hmm. Ebert is someone where when he was on the money, he was fucking on the money, but like you can find, I can find so many reviews of him where he's like out to fucking see of just like just yeah with, i mean a lot of his horror stuff is is age terrible yeah like cisco and ebert really didn't get horror and probably set the horror genre back by about a decade frankly yeah they were the top yeah. critics in the country you know and they like they just couldn't they just were not there for it and it probably deeply affected the careers of a lot of those guys and and they didn't even like silence of the lambs Oh fuck, that's right. Like they were two of the people being like, we don't understand why people like this movie. Like we don't know. It just turns into a geek show at the end. I think was their take. Mm-hmm. And um, Pauline Kale, I think I, I have to also mention. You know, like you're you're a woman in an industry that's been dominated by men, mm-hmm. and you're you you, you got to keep punching upwards. You're getting punched down upon all the time. Like it's a difficult position to be in. I'm I'm sure it, it was really hard to even stick around in that industry for as long as she she was alive um you know credit where credit's due like support women's wrongs as much as you support women's rights mm. I, guess. I guess um uh she was a uh an ardent opponent of the auteur theory yes so now that i've talked about that a little bit uh do you know the definition of auteur theory <laughs> All right. Well, here I'll, I mean, I'm gonna make a release. I know what. Yeah, I know what. It is. Yeah, that the, I mean, I the think director kind of... is the author of the film in the the broadest terms, right? Like, yeah, yeah. We're, that's why it's like John Carpenter's whatever. Yeah, you know, even though John Carpenter, it real, it's, it, also always goes out of his way to credit is is. I will call them co-authors in every department of the film he makes. He will always, like in the commentaries, you can hear him like, oh, that Carpenter's so weird. We're like, he even uses pseudonyms in his credits because he doesn't like his name being in the credits that much. But mm-hmm. then also he calls the movie like John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. Like, yeah. Well, he, he was smart because he was like, yeah, I did it for like a branding thing. Yeah. And I was like, yep, there you go. He made his name. Um, it works. And we call it John Carpenter's The Thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, auteur theory, I think we all kind of understand it without like knowing it, which is that like, yeah, the, it's the concept that the director is the primary force behind 
the creation of the film. And I think auteurs, uh, I think certain video game creators kind of like liken themselves to like auteurs. Yeah. I'm not going to name any names, but there's a show of a video game adaptation from a guy who maybe kind of considers himself an auteur, even though uh, I would disagree. But um, there, it's imagine, the idea th- that, imagine like, making yeah. that game and being like, I'm an auteur. I know, I know. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, it, it, director is the one the film revolves around. I'd like, give, I'd give is... whoever was behind fucking Crash Bandicoot 2 more credit. Like I, I also would too. Um, but I also have mixed feelings about that because I also... Um, look, here's the thing. Film is not a democracy. When you're making a movie, it's not a democracy, right? So, like, I, I couldn't tell you whether I'm pro or anti-auteur theory. I just think, like... It's it's a complicated issue, mm-hmm. uh, especially depending on the film, because then you got to think about like journeyman directors and stuff like that. Like they maybe they're not auteurs, but like they're no less worthy of the title of director if you get a movie made. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You can make a bad movie and you're a director. Like it's fine. You know, mm-hmm. Ed Wood's a director. <laughs> like that's like um, that's vulgar auteurism. You know, where it's like directors who aren't necessarily geniuses, but they have they have a body of work, and there's over there's connecting tissue between all of them, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, Ed Wood certainly had that, like, mm-hmm. and it's it's present in a lot of filmmakers. Um, whether you want to ascribe it totally to the director or the team they assemble or whatever. Yeah, a, and then matter. hey, there are some there are some directors who uh, like they they're really good at assembling the team to make. Like the stuff yeah. happened for them. That's part of being a director. Some people rely on that more than others, but like, that's no less direct. I think this concept you know? of auteur is going to come up in a later episode of this series, but not. I would agree. Not with a filmmaker. Hmm. Hmm. But uh, hey, that's that's a whole yeah. other discussion. It's one of those things yeah. where like auteur theory needed to happen because we had to start taking movies a little more seriously and the role of the director a little more seriously. You know, yeah, it's it's a yeah. it's a total reaction to golden age Hollywood where things were so like compartmentalized assembly line movies. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it's one of these things where like I don't necessarily agree with auteur theory in like any big way, but I I kind of want to give it more credit than maybe it deserves because we've we've re-entered an era where we don't want to treat directors as artists anymore. You know, like it's yeah. back to the studio and the product they put out and that's concerning you know it is and also i think we're we're now in the era where we're watching maybe some producers trying to be recognized as auteurs and i don't even know if that's necessarily wrong for a producer to be the auteur in some ways you know like i don't know if there is if it's a if it's that cut and dry you know Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, like, you could call someone like David Oselznick an auteur in a way, you know? He didn't direct those Howard movies. Hawks. Yeah. Who was a director, but I think we all know what I'm referring to here yeah. regarding his secret directing projects. Yeah, allegedly. When he was credited as a producer. Allegedly. Or think of, allegedly. like, all the movies Spielberg produced in the 80s, which have, like, that Amblin vibe, you know? like Yeah. And, of course, there are, there are other... For- like, t- we got, like... Toby Hooper and Joe Dante behind the scenes, they all bring their own shtick to it, but there is a distinct Spielbergness to all of it. And that influences so much of the arc of film. Yeah. And it's, uh, 
it's interesting. It's hard to, you know, it, it is something where, I also think sometimes we just, it's a thing of like, well, do we want to elevate the director above everyone else? And I'm like, one of these is like an artistic debate. The other is a labor debate, which I think are two separate debates ultimately, you know? Like, mm-hmm. we need to separate the like, who deserves credit as the genius debate from the workers who like have to actually make the thing debate, right? Like, yeah. it shouldn't matter who's a genius in terms of compensating your workers, right? And yeah. It's a yeah. labor issue more than a artistic issue. Um, uh, which is, you know, again, to Pauline Kale's credit, I think kind of her stance on that, because she, she was, you know, like I mentioned, an ardent, like, opponent of it. But, she, like, uh, regarding Citizen Kane especially, she's like, oh, well, you know, Herman J. Mankiewicz was, like, the real writer. He was the co-writer, and, you know, you don't get the look of that film uh, without cinematographer Greg Toland. And now this lets me talk about the interesting stuff about Mank, which is the look of the film well, no, versus not, the look of Citizen Kane. We can't get Kane. there yet. Damn it. Because we, we really, we can't downplay how bad Pauline Kael's piece was. Okay. Uh, right. Raising Kane, which is the piece she wrote, which basically tried to argue that Orson Welles didn't write a single word of Citizen Kane, right? Yes. Like, that's what she argued. And that he gets way too much credit, and that we should give Mank more credit. And mm-hmm. uh, and then she's also like, Orson was an egomaniac, tried to wrestle control. An egomaniac who also shared his directing title with Greg Toland in the movie, by the way. Um, if you watch Citizen Kane, the credits. Uh, Orson Welles' director and cinematographer Greg Toland are listed together. So, I don't know why an egomaniac would let something like that happen, but hey, not going to say and maybe not going to say Orson didn't have an ego obviously, but yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I think there's a difference between having an ego and being an egomaniac. Yeah. <laughs> um also worth noting the script creditation in the film is with Herman J Mankiewicz. Mm. It is true movie. that Orson did initially object to sharing credit. Because it was a work for hire. That was part of the contract they set up. Mankiewicz, I believe, wrote two drafts. And then wanted more credit. Um, But he essentially wrote, like, an insanely long and unwieldy script that then Orson had to trim down. And I believe there were, like, three subsequent drafts. Is that correct? I think three. But also worth noting that um, they wrote the same script like separately yeah or they worked on the same uh, they worked on citizen kane separately and then orson is the one who put them all together and like you mentioned the unwieldy part from from mankiewicz's uh drafts um wells did his own stuff and he he was like oh well this works better this works this works this way this works that way um i would not like i just say i'm like a fucking uh angel looking over the situation i'd be like hey orson like i wouldn't take full credit for this mm. but i would agree like, yeah <laughs> no the right at the end of the day the right thing happened which they were both credited yeah like that's a hundred percent what should have happened <laughs> and uh you know shit like that happens all the time in hollywood unfortunately where it's like people's names aren't on scripts that they were a big part of you know like mm-hmm. what's his name who's the fucking guy credited for the first spider-man movie who's like they barely used his script david kep yeah like, yeah, it, it, it's it's that just it happened. I mean, Star Wars is credited to the fucking George Lucas. Mm. I mean, he had like four other people helping with that. Um, yeah, 
And also worth noting that maybe uh, this is one of the things that maybe uh, people appreciate about Paul and Kale uh, now more than before also is like, you know, there's all these writing disputes in Hollywood. And it's like writers have, have never been paid less for their time. Like, yeah, like uh, approximately approximating it throughout the, the history of the film industry. Writers have never been uh, paid less, um, received less residuals. Uh, with, with maybe an era exception or two, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's really bad right now. That's probably why there's going to be, like, a, a strike uh, in the Writers Guild. Mm-hmm. And um, That worked out really well last time. Eh. Um, <laughs> Sorry. So her her vouching for Mankiewicz is, like, I can see how someone could really rally behind that. Mm-hmm. You know? It's like, hey, the the forlorn artist behind Citizen Kane was not Wells, yeah. it was the writer. And he dies like he doesn't he dies kind of impoverished. You know, he had a really rough life. Um basically alienated everyone in his life. Uh complicated guy. And he wrote and you gotta remember like the the whole thing about like him he had just been in a car accident when he dictated his version of Citizen Kane. Like that's all true, right? Like mm-hmm. yeah. that's 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 difficult. And <laughs> again I don't want to downplay his contributions, but like and we have to say, Raising Kane isn't, like, the charitable reading on Raising Kane is that Pauline Kael had an agenda, which was to kind of deflate the auteurism of Orson Welles in connection to Kane, right? Like, she doesn't like auteur theory. She, she wants to go after the... Panic, like, the movie that is put at the top as the greatest movie ever made, right? She wants mm-hmm. to take the supposed auteur of that down a peg. She finds uh, research written by another researcher whose name I can't remember off the top of my head, uh, who concluded that the authorship question was up for debate. Not He did not fall on... Mankiewicz's side over Wells, he just said it was up for debate, right? Mm-hmm. Pauline Kael builds off of this person's research, goes further, and says, Mankiewicz wrote the whole thing, and Wells did very little. Um, I don't know how she could justify making that leap. I don't know. Maybe she was caught up in the zeal of it. Maybe she felt she had enough to push it in a certain way. She massaged facts. Then doesn't credit the person that whose research she's taking from. Which is what she's accusing Wells of doing, by the way. Um, and then just like, just she was so focused on achieving her, to making her point that she kind of had tunnel vision and didn't see the mistakes she was making along and didn't do basic follow up research with other people involved in the production, correct? Like, yeah. That's the charitable reading of Raising Cain. The very uncharitable reason is that it's a hit piece, basically, and it's was it it was written recklessly and did damage to a guy who already wasn't doing well, frankly. Yeah, that's the that's the point I have mm-hmm. is that like he was no longer on top of the world. Yeah. Orson Welles. Well, Orson, this is we like have to remember, Orson Welles. Like it's so ridiculous to think now, but the narrative with Orson Welles even long after his death, was he makes Citizen Kane and then never made a movie that even came close to it, right? Yes. Like, that he starts that great, 
never comes close. What the hell happened? That was what people believed for the longest time. There's a great documentary called uh, The Battle for Citizen Kane. Have you ever seen this? I have not. It, oh, I believe shoot, I should have watched it before this. Yeah, it, I believe it won an Academy Award. Um, it was released. It's on most DVD versions of Citizen Kane. Um, it came with my copy, um, and it's this. It's a really good documentary. Kind of goes over it, but it does kind of end on the note of Orson never achieved the success of Citizen Kane after it was all over, and that like he was kind of he was kind of considered a joke towards the end of his life. And, you know, it, it, it's a bummer. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, like, and it's a thing where now when you look back, it's like, Morrison has at least, I would argue, at least three movies that are of, it could go toe to toe with Citizen Kane in terms of his best movie, you know? Yeah. Um, and, it that just was and so like to attack him, to go after him with this piece at a time when like he's he's about to embark on the other side of the wind debacle, you know, which is his <laughs> real like last hurrah. Um, he never finishes the Dreamers. He never finishes Don Quixote. Like he. He does Effer Fake, which Effer Fake is one where it's like, you want to talk about the guy responsible for fucking video essays. It's like Orson Welles Effer Fake. Like, he did the first one and it was fucking 1973. Mm-hmm. Like, you could make an argument that that's his greatest movie. And to, to put a piece like this out is uh, offensive, frankly. Uh, and... Yeah, I don't think, it, it, I, there's not a lot of, pos- and that was my, my, my problem is that was my introduction to Pauline Kale was the whole Raisin Cane controversy, and it has really tainted my view of her other work, because this, that is such a bad, like, it it's not just, uh, I don't think it's just a lapse in judgment, like, it, it, mm-hmm. it feels worse than that, you know? And yeah. That's, uh... It's a real. It, it it kind of bums me out to think about, you know, because she she mm-hmm. she clearly is a very influential writer and has written a lot of great stuff. And I can't not think of Raising Cain when I read it, you know. So like, even when someone like that makes a great point, it's it's like talking to a known liar, you know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah, I yeah. I mean, you've had falling outs with people where like you you get over it, you kind of meet up again, you talk, and you're just like, I'm, we, I, all is forgiven, but we're never going to go back to being friends because <laughs> I, I know you now, right? Like, mm-hmm. it happens. Yeah. And, you, you learn a little too much about yeah. the real person. And, it's like, and now and... it's like, yes, you can do positive things and I wish the best for you, but whenever, whatever you do from now on, I'm going to think about those other things. And it, it, it happens. I mean, you know, and I'm sure that can happen with other critics. I mean, I think that's why some people like fucking certain pockets of the internet will hate Ebert forever because the introduction to him was him saying video games could never be art, you know? Yeah. Which, yeah. bad introduction. <laughs> but uh, not as uh, reductive, in my opinion, as Raising Cain, but that's a, that's a discussion. Yeah. Uh, uh, also worth noting that 
basically Hollywood rejected Raising Cain <laughs> for the most part. Well, uh, I mean, not not everyone, but there there were like it was immediate a, rebuttals. There were from rebuttals it. Uh, immediately. Most, Peter Bogdanovich probably being like the biggest, because he was like Wells sycophant at the time, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, and he, he has a point by point mm, like rebuttal with his own piece called the Cain mm, Mutiny. But and yeah, and it's it's devastating, and. But Pauline Kael didn't really face consequences as a result. No, no, no. She she did not. And the Citizen Kane book was is still published with her essay in it. I mean, that's actually shocking. I don't. I, don't, I can't. Th- I think the Citizen Kane book hasn't been pub- like republished in a while, but it was continued to be published with it. Like in 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 the totality, like I believe, like her Pauline Kael's collected works do not include Raising Kane now, right? Like mm-hmm. now, it's been like okay. We're not, we're not even going to pretend anymore, but she faced no consequences. And what's it, you know, it's like that thing of like, uh, a lie has already made it around the world three times by the time the truth is putting on its shoes, you know, like for a lot of people that raising Cain is what they remember, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's taken basically Pauline Kael to be forgotten by the general public for, I think, the, the, the real stink of it to wash off, you know? Yeah. Uh, now only film people really know about it. And that's why it was a little weird when Mank was coming out and uh, David Fincher was like, I'm going to drag all this back up. And it was like a thing of like, David Fincher was the type of guy who... It was like, is he going to bring this whole thing? Is he going to bring this whole debate back? You know, like mm-hmm. I, there was that vibe, which I think was like the big turning point for people when it came to Mank. Like it was, you know, I mean, people are wary of Fincher and his culture, mainly because of Fight Club, you know, like yeah. there's, there's just a worry he's going to drop another Fight Club. And I think people were a little worried. And then. Mank kind of landed with a bit of a wet fart and no one really cared. I don't know about wet fart, but it was just kind of like, oh yeah, that came out. Yeah, no, but like that was saying, no one, like, it didn't even, like, create that many waves. I watched it the day it came out, mainly because I think I couldn't sleep that night. It was during the pandemic. Yes. And I woke up oh my God, early. Right. I woke up early and I just watched it at, like, six in the morning. And I was, and I was at a point where I was like, I was kind of like, I don't even know if I'm going to watch this shit. Because it wasn't getting like people weren't talking about it. like people were not very excited about it. I sit down, I watch it, and I was like, "Yeah, that wasn't that bad. Like that was that was solid, you know, like for what it was." I kind of walked away from it that way, and then like that cut for, compared to what other people were saying at the time, felt like a bit of a rave review. <laughs> like <laughs> now, I think people have kind of gotten a little more positive on it, and I think I've gotten a. The rewatch of it, I didn't. I, I kind of was a little more negative on this rewatch. Not like fuck. Uh, not like fuck this movie, but just like I'm kind of like I don't. It's whatever. Like, yeah, I mean, it's also worth noting, like while the uh, the worst case scenario you just mentioned didn't really stir up again. Uh, David Fincher, I, I called him a Pauline Kale truther. Like he he did go on and say like, well, you know, you just compare Citizen Kane to his other works, like they just don't compare. And it's like, well. I don't. I don't think people believe that anymore. Yeah, <laughs> like he's very set in his ways. You know, um, I don't know about like uh, personally, but like in terms of like 
his approach to film and filmmaking and such like that. And he was um, really trash in Orson. Uh, yeah, he time. was. And Orson has become um, the odd patron saint of uh, film Twitter. Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, there was that that account. I can't remember who did it, but whoever was doing the like, what if Orson still had a talk show today account, and <laughs> would just be like this Mister Beast fellow. He goes on and disturbs me. Like he like like the way that guy wrote it was genius like i can't even <laughs> i can't even imitate it but no no i mean yeah i remember that account too i should have followed it. i don't remember yeah. it now but like um like a lot of people when they try to pretend to be orson they add a lot of like lengthy words <clears throat> and like really splendid <clears throat> adjectives and vernacular and he was like oh he was straight to the point he just fucking was like he was it's like the voice heat seeking missile yeah the voice though is like that is the big word you know like yeah <laughs> have you seen the trailer for citizen kane i haven't oh, i don't think oh my god it is so worth seeking out it is one of the best movie trailers of all time like which makes sense for that movie but it's really like it's like a microphone and then like it just swings over you don't see his face and it's like Ladies and gentlemen, this is Orson Welles speaking to you from the Mercury Theater. I want to talk to you about this coming attraction. Well, it certainly is coming. It is called Citizen Kane. Like, it's just him, like, talking about the actors. And it'd be like, and here's some chorus girls engaging in ballet who. It's it's the fucking best. And, yeah, and it's weird that he's become, like, this weird... Kind of like people like love him now, and they they love him when he's dead, like you know, which <laughs> is oh, it's something he allegedly said, but probably didn't. But uh, where like yeah, like now everyone on on film Twitter loves Orson. I mean, how I I don't even have to say anything. Like I don't have to post much. Right? But if I just say the French, everyone knows what I'm referencing. <laughs> like, it's. Uh, and and also you just know he would be like, although here's the thing, he would either be the most online motherfucker ever, right? Like, oh god, yeah. It'd or be I think Abby had this take. I I could be wrong if Abby said this, um, but someone had this take, and it was the other brilliant take, which is like Orson wouldn't be too online. Like he would go like weeks without posting. <laughs> And then would post a picture of the steak dinner he was having with the uh, comment, tonight's festivities. And then he wouldn't post again for another six weeks. (laughs) Which I'm like, yeah, that sounds right. (laughs) (laughs) I do feel, it is a shame. Like, I wish Orson, Orson is one of those guys where, like, I wish, most guys I wish were, like, had died earlier. Like, Orson, I wish had hung around a little bit longer. Yeah, like, where it's like, where, like the fact that he lived long enough to do the Transformers animated movie, like that's kind of hysterical. <laughs> that's his last role, isn't it? Yeah, I believe he has one other because like it was some bullshit no one even cares about that was released after his death, and then the other side of the wind, where he has a voice cameo in it. Um. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of but, course. I mean, he's a. Uh, He's Lou Lord in the Muppets movie. You know? Um, worth noting that The Other Side of the Wind and Mank are on Netflix. Weird, um, yeah. And it, it, that, is, that is strange. It's not I don't like even Netflix think it's a bad thing. Like, we gotta strange. get both sides of the market. 
Like, yeah, I was gonna say it's like they're playing both sides, so they always come out on top. Yeah. <laughs> that's why, and that's why Netflix is this unstoppable juggernaut that shows no signs of slowing down. <laughs> um, the other side of the wind is that a failed award contender? I don't know. That's a weird one. I mean, technically, because I don't think they didn't like even bother nominating it, right? I know, like, I know. And I had this whole thing where I was like, I kind of wanted him to win a posthumous Oscar. Yeah, it would have been it would have been kind of great. But also, there's like a lot of like because there is footage in it that was reshot, you know. And yeah, there's yeah. there's also the debate of like. Would Orson have even released the movie in the state it was in? You know, that's true. Like, there's that's a true. there's the companion documentary, "The Love Me When I'm Dead," that Netflix also put out. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that was like that Orson, towards the end, was toying with the idea of just making a documentary about the production of "The Other Side of the Wind." So the other side of the wind would have been a documentary about a movie called "The Other Side of the Wind," which was about the making of a movie called "The Other Side of the Wind." <laughs> So, Jesus Christ! So yeah, he's playing like eight D chess. Yeah, a little bit <laughs> from the fucking grave. Like, yeah. and I also just think it was hysterical that like the other side of the room was this holy grail of like, like it, like, it's a, it's a basically finished Orson Welles film that's just out there somewhere, and it's got all these people in it, and we'll never see it. And it finally comes out. Netflix of all people does it. It comes out, and a good 50% of that movie is Orson being like, look how hot my girlfriend is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're just kind of like, God, that's that's king shit, honestly. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was also um, shocking to watch that movie and be like, you, this it, it, it didn't feel like Orson trying to be a part of New Hollywood. It felt like kind of relevant to today, you know. Yeah, it was one of those where, like, man, I wish Orson could have gotten a hold of a smartphone or something like that, right? I I always think about that every once in a while with like the truly inventive filmmakers of those bygone eras. I'm like, what the fuck would they have done? Because there's this whole sanctity about like the preservation of film, and obviously that's important. But like, you got to do it the old-fashioned way. You got to use three-point lighting. You got to whatever, right? It's just like, no, you don't. You really don't. You, 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 you can do whatever the fuck you want. Uh, and, like, smart filmmakers now understand that, too. Uh, and, you know, to David Fincher's credit, he's a big proponent of the digital cameras, like we mentioned earlier. Uh, maybe for his own reasons, but it's like... The, the path he set on with digital cameras does, like, help uh, certain aspects of the industry and certain people who are, like, interested in uh, a different look for their film. You know, his digital stuff prior to um, to Mank, mm-hmm. like, he was like, I'm going to digital because I want, like, the cleanest look possible. Like, the social network has, like, not a single ounce of grain yeah. or noise in it. Neither does Gone Girl, where he's like, I, I want to clean this shit up. Like, there's a, a VFX breakdown going around Twitter recently about uh, Mindhunters, mm-hmm. and it's like, he replaces the real snow... Because he's like, Alex oh, boring. And then he adds digital snow falling. Because mm-hmm. it looks better. It's like, alright, if you're going to play with like the new toys, like that's probably how you, mm-hmm. you should do it. Would I maybe replace real snow with digital snow? I don't know. I probably wouldn't. But the fact that you can and he knows how to and he's like, 
he's got a good understanding of all that it is like worth commending. Here's the thing. It's know? like, I kind of have to stand with him on that. Cause the other side of that coin is like the MCU where it's like, these actors weren't even on set on the same day and we put them together using digital technology. Yeah. And it's like, no, <laughs> like don't, don't do that. Although Robert Rodriguez is also uh, like directs movies similarly, but he, he, he doesn't really care about like how real anything looks, you know, like, Mm-hmm. Robert Rodriguez says that thing where he was like, "Ah, this extra kind of screwed up, so I just digitally took another extra and put him over top of him." <laughs> like, yeah, well, he he also like plans his stuff like really well, yeah. meticulously, and um, like he 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 has the pipeline and the know-how mm-hmm. to make his stuff great. And you know, even the best filmmakers maybe can't survive a a production-based pipeline mm-hmm. or producer-based pipeline. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's it's tough. It's tough. But. Mank was also this weird one where, like, when he he goes in and he wants to make it look like it was made in the era it is set. And people kind of had a negative, visceral reaction to that choice. I remember, like, yeah. no one really being happy with that. Yeah. And, I don't dislike it. I think it's interesting. I don't know if it all works. Yeah, that's the, um, it's, it is one of those things where I just kind of, like... I'm, it's one of those where I'm like I'm glad it's kind of like it's interesting you can do this right like mm-hmm. you can do this but I'm I'm just it's not as impressive as they think it is I guess <laughs> yeah and then at the same time it's also like what are we doing here you know mm-hmm. and um because it, it, it no matter how good it is it can't it's not it, I think maybe I don't know like am I supposed to watch Mank am I supposed to go like it feels like I found a film reel from 1942, right? Like, yeah. is that what I'm supposed to feel? Because I definitely don't feel that, you know? Mm-hmm. Just in, in terms of the style, it's just too modern. And then... So, like, when, when you put, like, these, like... I don't know if, if you call them, like, inaccurate anachronisms or whatever the fuck you want to call them. Like, if if that's the point, but it... it, it it just throws me off, you know, and mm-hmm. and then you have the sound on top of that, which was also a choice, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, that that's a, that's a strange one, and I don't know, man. I mean, you have something like this. We, I mean, we just did Nixon recently, you know, which mm-hmm. is jumping jumping from like five different filmmaking styles like within the same <laughs> minute, you know, like yeah, like archival footage, fucking. Like, you know, black and white fucking TV footage, fucking, like, and, but that works in a weird, but, like, part of that is, like, the jarringness of it, like, I don't know, man, I don't know. Has, I, there's something about the, like, going in and doing it later in post that it, it just, it feels, even, because Fincher should be the guy to be able to pull it off, right? Like, yeah, because of his style, but, like, it just comes across as like inauthentic yeah and, and then I, this I don't year know why it feels that way here we also but this year we also had something like skinamarink just came out right mm-hmm. which a lot of like that look was done in post right yeah like, yeah and that felt very authentic despite it clearly being done in post you know like it worked in that so i don't fucking know like i don't know I mean, I, that's what yeah. I'm just, 
I'm not smart because again, like Fincher's clearly like working on a different level that I just don't understand. But um, it it, it you, you watch it and you're kind of like it's it's interesting, but it also feels like someone like you know it's like when you have like YouTube channels. Remember like people used to do those things called like pre-makes. Do you remember those? I don't think I know those. It, no. it would be like, what if Ghostbusters was made in 1945? Oh yeah, and yeah. They would yeah, like yeah. edit like old movies together. It like feels more like that, honestly. Oh my god, it totally does. And those are fun, but I wouldn't call it high art. <laughs> like, yeah, um, it it's a strange situation because they reference like the making of this. Like they really wanted to go for the Greg Toland like yeah. deep focus look, which you can do with digital cameras like better. I remember Peter Bogdan- Peter Bogdanovich uh, was on a. I think he was getting interviewed on like Marin or something like that, and he was asking like Orson about uh, like how he got the deep focus of Citizen Kane. He's like Orson goes like, "You'll never get it in color," <laughs> like, and he's like, "No, no, no." But you know, I'm thinking if we do this with the lights, you'll never get it in color. And it's like, all right, well, I, I think you can now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people also forget like. The way they made film stocks back then is so drastically different to yeah. how they make film stocks now. It's not good or bad. It's just different. Um, and uh, black and white especially. Actually, no, no. Black and white is probably, is probably pretty similar, I would imagine. I, I don't know as much about black and white color film. or um, But like the, the look of, of Mank, there's a couple things that kind of like... I don't think they're good or bad. I'm just like, why did you do that, though? Yeah. So it's black and white... With the fake pops and sounds, and it's got like a mono soundtrack instead of like, you know, the the more modern universal um, like stereo designs. Um, but the look of it, especially like uh, Academy ratio uh, for Citizen Kane back in the day, right? That that was the look of movies because that's how that's just how it was. Yeah. That's the the film strips. That's how they were projected. Um, the Cinemascope comes around 1953, I think, I believe. Um, which is when you get, you know, those glorious wide screens uh, that John Carpenter and everyone loves to use and use to great effect. David Fincher has also used them to great effect. No one's Mank. ever used it in- incorrectly. Oh, so many people. All of the time now. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> it doesn't make it look better. Um, but Fincher and his cinematographer wanted to do that for this movie. Uh, the cinematographer, Eric Messerschmidt. Uh, they work together on Mindhunter. But they're like, we don't want to just like reenact Citizen Kane. So let's not do uh, 1.371. Uh, let's go for uh, 2.391. We'll go for the full scope range. And then we'll, we'll implement the, uh, the, the post-digital, uh, or post-film look uh, on the digital stuff later. And uh, we'll shoot at 3200 ISO for a more textured look rather than the low ISOs of, like, uh, 600, which is how, like, you, you mostly shoot your digital videos um, on, on a standard uh, digital camera, be it consumer-grade or professional, like the, the Ari Alexa or the RED cameras that Fincher prefers, which is how he shot this one, too. Mm-hmm. I don't know why... <laughs> when, you, when you make a movie that that's about old Hollywood, I don't know why people just don't shoot an Academy ratio. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're making a thriller, maybe. Maybe this is just a personal hang-up for me. 
but this is like the one time you can't experiment with like the old boxy aspect ratios. Yeah. And well, it's just weird that that's the one where they're like, we're not going to do that. Like of all the stuff they're doing. Yeah. You know? it, it makes it feel so much weirder when it's like, no, this doesn't, this isn't true. So this is where I think the movie gets really interesting mm. for me. I'm not telling anyone else is interesting for me personally. <laughs> is Fincher asking us to question the authenticity of this recounting in the film. We know he believes this, but is he asking us to question it because the mere presentation is false? And is the like the, the lack of authenticity in all these superficially added elements to make it look like a replica of old film is like their inauthenticity like an admission to it not being real? Mm-hmm. Or is it just like making us ponder these things. I think that's more interesting than anything that happens in the movie with maybe one or two exceptions of a performance. Um, but it's stuff I, I, that's what I think about regarding Mank. I don't really think about like the writing or anything. Uh, although I should also mention that this was written by David Fitcher's father, who has since passed away. Um, this was a project they worked on together for like 20 years. Yeah, it's supposed I think, to be his follow like up to like the game. Yeah. And it would have had uh, so, everyone's favorite guy, Kevin Spacey, as Mank. <laughs> you know, some things just work out better yeah. in the long run. Um, I'll say that. I, I think uh, Gary Oldman's actually having a good time. Yeah, thank God Gary Oldman's never done anything weird. <laughs> <laughs> it is a little unfortunate that we got two Gary Oldman retrospectives hey, in this what one. what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, so it's like, when I hear that, I'm like, this is the one sentimental Fincher movie. I do feel... I don't know. Uh, Benjamin Button's a little sentimental. You know what? You're right. You're right. Forgot Benjamin Button. Yeah. A movie I've grown to love. Which is the other one that people are like, no. <laughs> like, yeah. And I, I, I'm also on the Benjamin Button team. Like, I like that movie. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Although, I gotta say, like, a big thing for me... Like, I've definitely cooled on Fincher as I've gotten older. You know? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I... I just don't... His... his you know, like, his, his quote about, like, the audience are perverts, you know, like, that's his whole yeah. philosophy. And once you know that, really, about him and his relation to the audience, suddenly all his movies make sense, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that uh, mentality, you know? I can understand. I don't know if it's. That. I'm not saying it's wrong. I just don't like it. Yeah, um, yeah. And I don't know how Mank fits into it totally, though. I mean, you have the whole uh, your take of like, is it supposed to be? I mean, we have to remember this is also a movie that's like it. It takes the structure of Citizen Kane, right? Like it has yes. this, the nonlinear structure. Mank is just like boozing hard and doing like fucking like he's taking way too many meds like as he's recovering so there, there's totally an unreliable narrator thing you could be putting on there um and that's citizen kane as well i mean citizen kane has unreliable narrators multiple unreliable narrators uh, we never really get to know kane because we only get him through other people's perspectives right so he mm-hmm. could just be playing with that it feels more like that's what he's doing is that he's like, of course Mank wrote Citizen Kane. He was writing his life. Like, you know. Yeah. And, uh, my whole take was, is David Fincher Mank? 
Oh, oh. Is is David Fincher someone who's like, I fucking burned every bridge in Hollywood? <laughs> huh. Because I'm, I'm, I was laying down too many truths. I saw the threat of the Nazis before. That's a bad scene in this movie. That's, yeah, um, that's just not great. It was like, they opened the first concentration camp today, and then the Hollywood elites are like, what's a concentration camp? And it's like, oh god, I'm watching this in the year 2020. Um, <laughs> um, but... oh, you know what? I only mentioned Gary Oldman. I would say, like, three really great performances besides his. Amanda Seyfried. She's good. Seyfried? Yeah. I, she is so good in this. Jen generally a good actress i mean yeah yeah she doesn't get enough credit for whatever reason yeah there was that bit where she was almost gamora and guardians of the galaxy or whatever and I, i'm glad yeah she wasn't that but then i had this moment where i was like oh she could play star lord you know yeah, she <laughs> like, could be in that type of movie I yeah mean. yeah not necessarily marvel but that type of movie uh, um she's great in uh first reformed yes in, in a yes. part that could like kind of be nothing you know yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, Charles Dance. Charles Dance. Uh, I think Charles Dance is like a titan of an actor. Finally reteaming with uh, Fincher. Yeah, Alien Three Reunion was I, I. That was I believe that was my response when the news broke that he was coming. He kind of gets the great scene at the end where Oldman is like just going ham on a scene where he's just yelling at all the elites in Hollywood and fucking mm-hmm. burning everything down, and just it's just Charles Dance staring at him. <laughs> and it's the best thing happening in the movie. Like, um, uh, 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 Lily Collins, who I think is actually quite good in this, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't think she's really gotten a chance to shine in mm-hmm. a lot of stuff she's done. Um, and you know what? I'm going to name one more actor who's really good in this. Do you know who I'm going to say? No, I don't actually. Bill Nye! Oh yeah, <laughs> Bill Nye Sinclair. the science guy is Upton Sinclair. <laughs> Yeah, uh, which is uh, that is like a brilliant casting choice. Yeah, that was one of those where it's like you know, like I'm watching this at like six a.m. and like I'm half like I'm I'm still waking up, and that Upton Sinclair scene happens, and I'm like, is that Bill Nye? <laughs> like, <laughs> did you have that moment, or did you know he was in it when I had no idea? And the movie had just dropped, so like I couldn't like there wasn't information out there about it. Like yeah. I had to like wait like half a day. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I kind of I think most people do their jobs in this movie, you know. Yeah, no one's bad. Like in this Arliss movie, Howard, those are the ones that really stuck out fun. to me. Like he's he's just being a Hollywood dick, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the guy who gets like really sold down the river is fucking uh, Tom Burke is Orson Welles, who's like barely in the goddamn thing. Yeah. And, also significantly older than uh, yeah. Orson at the time of this place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Orson, well, we, everyone's, how old, what is he? He's like twenty something when he makes Orson, uh, Citizen Kane. He's twenty six. Yeah, don't, don't doesn't that it's, make you just want to I throw know. yourself off a fucking bridge? Like I know, I'm, motherfucker. I'm gonna, like I'm gonna go buy a plane ticket for tomorrow morning, and then I'm gonna walk out of the plane yeah, as it's taking off. That's a great idea. <laughs> yes. Whenever I hear that, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? You'd always be like, what was that guy on the Southwest flight where that guy got up on Southwest and was like, I'm going to open this door. <laughs> and then the passengers beat him to death. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a thing that really happened. So. Mark Wahlberg was there. He's like, I got I got some stuff to make up yeah, for. I got to make up for 9-11. 
And the guy wasn't even talking about the plane door. He was just talking about the bathroom. Some guy had been in there too long. And Mark Wahlberg beat him to death. <laughs> what a um, lunatic Mark Wahlberg is. I know, I know. Every once in a while, have you gotten those uh, those prayer app commercials? No. Or those advertisements? No. A lot of people are getting them. I'm getting them a couple times, too, on Instagram or, like, from scrolling through I'm getting TikTok a lot of religious stuff lately. There's definitely... Someone somewhere is like, now is the time to sell religion. Like, yeah. clearly we're all panicking. <laughs> and they're like, did you know that the Bible talked about pestilence and disease? It's like Joel Olstein. He's yeah. like, <laughs> give me money for my car. Like, <laughs> <laughs> for his 25 Ferraris or whatever the fuck. What a... It's like at that point, just give like, you can give 10 of those away. <laughs> yeah. Like I get you're greedy, but ten of them. You understand. You know? All these people are Satan, and they're go they're they're dragging us all to hell with them. Oh no no no, hundred percent. Like these people are. But you know, I'm like insane. I'm like I'm just gonna like DM Joel Olstein on Twitter, and I'll be like, hey, just, can I just have like a million? Like just just give me it. The <laughs> Lord gave me, you don't a need sign that million. and said you need to give me ten million dollars. Yeah, you know what? I will actually DM Joel Olstein that, and I'll be like, the Lord has, has sent me a message. <laughs> give me 50 million dollars you know we go like i was standing outside today and the clouds took on an unusual shape i don't know what it means and then you send him a picture and it's the clouds photoshop to say send me millions of dollars <laughs> what could the lord be trying to tell me <laughs> um, but hey yeah but this is also a movie about fake news Oh, yes, yes. Which was just like, it was one of those where, like, this movie dropped, like, right after the election, too. Mm-hmm. Like, where there was, like, okay, Biden won, and Trump's saying that the election was rigged, but we'll see how far that goes. Turns out it went really far, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, hey, so there was that weird, and this is, a big part of this movie is... Uh, the Hollywood studios conspiring to destroy organized labor in in California, <laughs> uh, which like should have made it like the movie of film Twitter that year, you know. I know and, that I think that's that reveals truly how much of a misfire this was, yeah. and I'm not saying that as like a hater or even like this. Yeah, I don't hate movie. it. I just I'm just like kind of like eh, like yeah. I mean, sometimes stuff just doesn't work. Yeah. But it is weird where I'm like, I should be loving this, but, like, I'm getting nothing, you know? Like, yeah. Where it's like, it is interesting to watch, like, okay, yeah, like, this is the early version of, like, how people are being manipulated by media. Something that happens to this day, right? That... Yeah. And, yeah. like, this is, like, it's it's kind of trying to be a demystifying thing of media where it's like, no, media isn't citizen kane and orson welles triumphing it's these money men manipulating the popular sentiment you know Mm -hmm. and it's like yes citizen kane lasts in the long term but the short term these guys always win right yeah and it's it's interesting and it just doesn't work i don't know it's it is one of the more baffling like like why doesn't this work and part of me just wonders if maybe we just all kind of got over Fincher at the same time, you know? Maybe. Like, the killer, I guess, will be the test of that. Um, I am looking forward to that movie. I, I was until you told me Michael Fassbender was in it. Oh, um, yeah. Your but, least favorite actor. Yeah. Also, you know what? I was not a fan of Mindhunter. I'm like the one guy on the planet that didn't like Mindhunter. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, 
but I think it's well made. It's you know what it's I like the cast. It's fine. Cast is fine. There's good performances. Um There's a lot about that. First of all, criminal profiling is kind of like a pseudoscience. <laughs> oh yeah. Which yeah, we've yeah, talked yeah. about. I think we talked about that during the Red Dragon episode. Yeah. But uh Also recently from I I, I kind of only watched the first season and a little bit of the second one. Isn't like the BTK killer like in the background of the mo- of the show? Yeah, yeah. Like that's just silly. That's just silly. Well, you know what they're gonna do for the third season? Was right? it gonna be BTK? It, well, let me let me get this correct because this is actually pretty hype for take a film Twitter term, and it's not about BTK. I'm not hyping up <laughs> BTK. Diego hype that's... for BTK. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. Um, Actually, he had some good points. I believe for season three of Mindhunter, they were going to do... They were going to go to Hollywood. And they were going to cross over with the productions of... Fuck you. No, no, no. You're going to love this. They're going to cross over with the production of Michael Mann's Manhunter. Oh, fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you. Fuck that. Ugh. That's that sounds like the worst. Yeah, that sounds awful. <laughs> well, I guess I'm, I think it could. I think it could have been something. I mean, it could have. The whole show could have been something. That something was called Hannibal. But oh yeah, I mean that's the thing. And in, in light of Hannibal, it's like you're doing crime TV shows. Yeah. It's like if you're not doing something on that caliber, if you're not making bother. it gay as shit. What the fuck are you doing? Oh, here's the other problem with Mank. So there's actor Holt McCallany, mm-hmm. who has been in David Fincher's roster since Alien 3. He is not in Mank, which is why it's less good than his other movies. Yeah. That's all I got. Yeah. Um, oh, I guess I should also mention that they do a lot of day for night with black and white, which is significantly easier to do on black and white, mm-hmm. uh, which also allows them to use their deep focus shots so everyone knows about the shutter speeds and all that jazz, right? Um, your focus, uh, your f-stop on on uh, your camera. So you just shoot like uh, a super low f-stop, like around like my camera, my digital camera that I have goes uh, down to twenty two. Um, so that it's like really dark. So you need like as much daylight as possible. But then everything's in focus, and you can still pull back some shadow details. So uh, there's like that sequence where. Uh, Marion and Mank are walking around that little plateau with the fountain in the middle and stuff like that. Like that's a day for night shot. Um, you can kind of see the shadows and stuff like that. But I don't know. It's pretty impressive stuff. It's just, you know, like to what end? Yeah, that's my. That's you know just what I'm wondering question. if the recurring thing because I, I started this episode by going in on fucking Babylon. Do I, <laughs> do I just like maybe I just don't like movies about movies? But you like Nope. Yeah, but like, that, but here's the thing. That's like, it's a that's a coup. Like, it's not yeah, yeah. overtly because look, like, here's the thing. All movies are about movies, right? <laughs> like, that's the thing. You know, that's mm-hmm. all about. When you watch a movie, it's about a movie. That's it's that's an extension of auteur theory. Like, a uh, uh, a movie is about its director in a lot of ways, and that's true as much for something like Citizen Kane as it is for something like Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know? Mm-hmm. And, but, some genius somewhere 
like really it was like hey all movies are about movies and then some directors decided like that's just going to be their thing is that all their movies are going to be overtly about the fact that they're movies um someone like david fincher for example which has multiple movies where people just monologue directly at the audience about like you're not going to believe the shit you're about to see yeah. i mean that's seven right a little bit. Or seven, like literally, has John Doe being like, people are gonna talk about what I've done for years to come, and it's like that's what seven is, you know? Mm-hmm. We're talking about it. That's what a movie is. The game is a hundred percent about filmmaking. I that one I, I see much more than seven. Frankly. Fight Club is about filmmaking to the point where it's about like one of the things in it is like editing film, like that's. that's- fucking right one of the characters yeah. does it panic room is a little more conventional but it's also like that's where he starts going a little crazy with the camera right mm-hmm. like the camera kind of becomes god in it like it's it can go places where the human eye just can't uh, zodiac is overtly about the audience and it's kind of obsession with killers you know mm-hmm. i mean when uh there's the there's the scene that we're like Robert Downey Jr. goes like, Zodiac's been lying. Like, half these crimes, like, he totally didn't commit. He's just taking credit for other crimes. And he's like, you almost seem disappointed. And it's like, he might as well be talking to the audience, you know? Yeah. Like, that's this is what, this is Fincher's thing. And I don't know if I like it anymore. <laughs> I think I thought it was cool and clever for a little bit. And now I don't know. Because um, at some point, these guys, they can only make movies about those sorts of things. And they can't make a movie not about that, you know? They mm-hmm. can't make a movie that, like, well, when you, like, I mean, you take that stuff away from Mank, what do you have, ultimately? And it's not much. What you have is Raising Cain, which is a bullshit story. I think maybe that's the problem with it, yeah. Like, look, uh, God bless Fincher and his father uh, working on this together. I'm not, I don't want to take anything away from that, Um it's clearly a, a, coming from a very personable place. But yeah, there's just not a lot here outside of that. Mm. And, you know, like I mentioned, nope. And like, yeah, it's it's smuggling in like a billion different ideas, yeah. obviously. But it never forgets that it's a fucking movie about a giant UFO monster. Yeah, and I think that's the real hat trick, at least like with... Uh, but I mean, Close uh, Encounters is as much about movies as nope is as well, you know? But it's also yeah. a movie that never forgets it's about fucking aliens. Yeah, it's like you you have to have more than just like this is about this. What's well, this? You know? It's these weird like again like this is my coming back around to like uh, yes I'm on team artists but also there's a lot of filmmakers and writers now that get high off their own farts and they're just like look how clever I'm being with this meta textual shit and I'm like you forgot to make a movie like <laughs> <laughs> you know. And I'm like, get that part right, and then do the other stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And it leads to a lot of movies that are like, there's interesting ideas at play, but then the movie isn't there. And I'm not trying to do that from like a structure. Be like, here's a movie. It's a beginning, middle, and end. Characters have arcs. Like I'm not like you. You don't even have to do that, really. But you gotta do something. <laughs> and you can't just do a movie about a movie. Unless it's got to be really fucking good, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, maybe it has to be Citizen Kane. Maybe. I mean, 
it, it's got to be that quality. And Mank, uh, not even in that ballpark. No. But, uh, does Mank stink? Wow, you were you saved that one. <laughs> no, Ethan commented it under my my letterbox thing after I was like, yeah, I kind of liked it, <laughs> like way back when, and that that stuck with me. That's all I got going. How about on in that? My life. How about the scene? How about the scene where uh, it's it's uh, we didn't even talk about the fucking um, who anyone even is in this goddamn movie? I gotta be honest. It don't it don't matter. Oh, none of this, yeah. None of this matter. But yeah. Charles dances William Randolph Hearst at his fucking estate at the Hearst Castle. And uh, they're having the costume party where it's circus themed, right? Mm-hmm. And then Mank comes in without a costume. And he's fucking tearing shit up. And it but that it's because he's the monkey. He's the dancing monkey. In the circus. It's all a show. Oh, I, I you know, I never would have caught that it's had just, you not just told me that exact just, statement right now. Pick up on that. It's the poster of the movie. <laughs> Real clever shit. Real clever shit. So clever. Yeah. It's, uh... Yeah. All right, Mank, I think that's it. I remember one person, I will say this, there was, I, I have someone who's, uh, I know someone who's kind of a professional film critic, and they got to see Mank a little early, and they were, it was so weird watching this play out where they were like, I think it's a, a new high watermark for Fincher. They're like, this is, like, he's done it again, like, and I cannot wait for everyone else to see it. Like, this person was, like, way early, like, this is Fincher's best movie. And then, like, to see it come out and basically no one having that response was kind of interesting to see. (laughs) Some people like it. People like it, but no one was like, yes, Fincher's back, baby. (laughs) Let me see. What's the... Let me check the highest... Or at least most popular review of Mank. The most popular reviews are like, oh my god! I'll read the most popular review right now uh, by someone called Brat. Yeah, yeah, I've seen them. Yeah, I got shot at on my drive home from watching Mank, and Mank was still the worst part of my night. Yeah, people didn't like this movie. No, 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 no. Um, yeah, yeah, Mank. Um, it, would it, you recommend it? I don't fucking know. The memes are funnier. The memes are great. Um, I'd recommend watching anything Orson Welles made after Citizen Kane if you haven't seen it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, do that. He's, he did a lot of movies that are just like genre exercises, and they're really good. Yeah, check them out. Uh, and then when, like save The Other Side of the Wind for last. Honestly, Orson is one of those directors where you can kind of just go in order. I, I generally I'd agree with that. I really think that one kind of benefits from like at least like having a couple in your back pocket. Mm. Well, that's what I mean. You know? It's the last one. Oh no, no! I thought you were saying like you can go in any order. No, no, I meant like you can go like, like Orson is someone you can go like Susan Kane, Ambersons, The Stranger, Lady from Shanghai. Like it totally works. Oh yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know? I thought you meant out of order. No, Sorry. no, I did Sorry, not that's mean what I meant. out yeah. of order. Okay. Open your goddamn ears. <laughs> 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 yeah, Mank. Uh, it's it's no the other side of the wind. It's no uh, touch of evil. Yeah. It's no, no, the trial. It's no uh, 
Oops, Chimes Orson Welles is in blackface in Othello. Ooh. Um, Ooh. That was just an accepted thing for a long time. It sure was. I was like, yep, Othello, white guy. <laughs> it's a good thing we don't have any problems with race in this country anymore. Thank God we defeated racism in 2008. <laughs> we defeated that nasty dragon called racism. With the power of voting. We've, I don't know if you remember, Diego, but we all went down to the voting booths and we said, racism, uh-uh. <laughs> and all those guys that were like, actually, we're still cool with racism. When the vote came in, they were like, all right, I guess we're not. <laughs> I guess, nope, they, they, the votes came in. Racism is done. And by golly, they listened. <laughs> All right. Well, that's Mank. Time to pick the next we episode of the failed award contender. <laughs> yeah, but we talked a lot about the stuff that went I into also, the also, history of Mank. Diego, you said you took a lot of notes too. Like you, you did a yeah, but it was mostly that technical stuff, and I, I kind of covered it fast enough. I, I don't need to spend more time. I, on that. I took like, about a half page of notes, and one of the things I wrote down that didn't come up was I wrote, uh, "Looks like L.A. Noir." Remember that game? <laughs> yeah. I don't know why it made that's me think a, of that. real insightful. <laughs> I didn't think of that. So. You want to talk about the bad side of uh, auteur theory? You want to talk about the bad side of auteur theory? Uh, look up the guy who did, uh, who was like the head of the L.A. Noir team. And uh, um. you'll be reminded that some people are just the worst. Oh, I don't know about this one. It's a, actually, worth so a I'm read. Just gonna... Worth a read. All right, all right, all right. No, all right. not no, no, like no, like assault things. Just the heads up, but just being possibly the worst boss that ever existed. Oh, okay, okay. So, um, little thing called crunch that seems to be a recurring problem in the game industry. Yeah. Well, also VFX industry now. VFX so. industry. I was going to make a joke about, like, imagine if you're making a movie and then, like, the last day it's like, okay, we got to shoot half of it. Like, <laughs> and then it's like, oh, wait, like, that's that's special effects now. Yeah. But don't worry, Diego, they just divert them to other movies. <laughs> okay, you saw that article today, I, yeah, too. Yeah, I saw the Ant-Man <laughs> yeah. and the Lost <laughs> David Fincher's Ant-Man? Oh, God. He could have made a fun heist movie. He could have made a what? A fun heist movie. I mean, yeah, that's, I guess that's what Ant-Man is. Yeah, hey, that one's genuinely structured like a heist movie. Is it as successful as, say, Ocean's Eleven? It's Fuck structured no. like a heist movie but... where everyone would get shot in the attempt. <laughs> I didn't say it was a home run. <laughs> <laughs> I just said. All those people went to jail. No, no, it's 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 got a. There, there's something to that first one. Um, all right, now I got to pick the next failed award contender. Um, all right, here we go. We have five left. Okay, hold on. Before you spin it, um, do you want to single out one to just be the definitive last one, like so we end on a good note, or you want to just keep it random? You know what? Let's end with. You can bleep it for. Okay, that's it. That's an interesting note to end on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I th- I'm gonna put finale in quotes. Okay. Um, yeah, we can do that, and then uh, that can give you some time to get a hold of a physical copy. 
Yes. <laughs> like that's that might be more the reason why it's the last movie. <laughs> See, I'm thinking ahead. There that's all go. that is. All right, so I got four in the little designator. Let's do this. All right, next up, we're bouncing back with Ali. Ali! Another biopic. Oh, boy. We actually have, plus Ali, two biopics left in this one. Yeah. Actually, no, three. Okay. Technically. Oh, yeah, what's the third one? That's not a biopic, you idiot. <laughs> is it not? No, what it's, is it? it's just about the late... It's just about... Oh, okay. It's a documentary. I don't know anything about that one. Um, no, it was a TV movie. Oh, okay. Um, well, it's kind of a biopic, if it's about it. The top review for on uh, Letterboxd is one half star. <laughs> oh, good. Um, the other ones are three, three half, which a little closer to probably what it is, but hey. Oh, okay. So, All right. Yeah. That's All right, so here's something. Uh, you know how like you did a ton of research for for Mank and shit? yeah, and then it ended up not mattering yeah. that much. Well, I, I have been I have read three books now in preparation for. Wow. <laughs> so uh, that's going to be the one I'm going to have. That's going to be the four hour episode, and we're barely going to talk about the movie. I'm just going to talk about the actual events. <laughs> So, all right. But next week we're talking about Ali, Ali. Michael Mann's Ali. Uh, I'm very excited about that because no one seems to talk about that movie. No one, no one has any opinion on uh, uh, Will Smith movie where he's he hits people. <laughs> I, I I was like, don't don't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what what can we do now? Yeah, like what can we do now? <laughs> <laughs> Wild that happened, and it is now yeah. the opening for this show. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, if that's too much, maybe I'll I'll take it out. But I too late, <laughs> too late, <laughs> too late. Should I add the noise next time? No, 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 no that, that's good. too much. I think we're no, good. No, um, um, yeah, this is Mank. Sorry, <laughs> this is yeah, sorry, Mank. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. I don't know. I think we got a good conversation around the movie, at least. And Mank is dead. (laughs) Matt, uh, links to your stuff in the description. But what about, uh, the, 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 the current Mank? What's his name? (laughs) Oh, um, Ben Mankiewicz. Yeah, Ben Mankiewicz, who took over at the movies for like a minute with the other guy named Ben. Yeah, um, then he, he would do. I think he did the Young Turks. He's on the young, I think he's that. still. Is he still there? Or yeah. I'm not sure. But he then he did uh, what the flick, which was like their their critic offshoot, which I watched. Yeah, which a that, lot. that that doesn't exist anymore. I don't think. No, they they um, I don't know what happened there. I think they just like lost funding. Yeah, and they they pivoted to like full time political. Um, yeah, politics um, probably makes more money. Frankly, yeah. <laughs> um, but he he still does TCM. So. He's the guy, if you go to the movie theaters, uh, he's usually the guy out in front. You're like, hey, uh, we're about to watch fucking The Girl Can't Help It. Uh, he was also in White House Down, which I keep getting to bring up oh, for yeah. some reason. That guy's a... There are so many ends to that movie what for me. What a weird I, that's career strange. that guy had. 
Yeah, I I, I like uh, Ben Mankiewicz unless there's stuff I don't know about. But I, I mean, I, I think like he's I, I think he's a little more left than like Blue Check Live, but he's probably still annoying. Yeah, you know? I mean, he I did take over. Of... He did take over at the movies from Ebert against Ebert Roper's wishes. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, that was—I mean, I, it, that was—you know—that was a weird era. That was like when they came in, they brought Ben Mankiewicz, who at least had like credentials, and then another Ben that no one even remembers. And they, well, I think that's my thing with with him is that like he's got credentials, and I even if I disagree with what he said, like having listened to his his takes, like I'm like, all right, there's like reasons here. Yeah, you know, the other Ben um, Ebert wrote that article where he's like here's what you shouldn't do as a reviewer and he never mentioned the guy by name but like he mentioned enough stuff that it was very clear who he was talking about oh there's probably like some nda in place and ebert was like how can i break this without breaking it i don't know if there was because then like a year later ebert was like yeah it was about him (laughs) (laughs) and then it was uh michael phillips and a.o scott for a little bit they were the last oh, guys yeah. to do it. Uh, who has shifted away from film criticism to book criticism uh, because there's like no money in film criticism right now. Really? That's weird. Honestly, that seems yeah. weird. It feels like there should be money in film criticism. Oh, you would think so. I mean, I'm you not like I'm not even I'm not saying like big money. I'm just saying like and it. <laughs> I guess I'm not even saying that there should be that much money. I guess what I'm saying is. It feels like there should be more money than book criticism. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Well, I don't know. Like, the uh, book industry is still, like, such a huge industry. It's just, yeah, like, but, like, no one's getting paid. That, that, that. And also, like, they out. just tried to merge two of the big publishing people and it failed. Uh, which is good that it failed, but also, like, when that happens, Wall Street's like, the industry's dying! Yeah. So. Well, I mean, this like since we're on the point, like A.O. Scott, like like love or hate his work, um, like he was he was the New York Times film critic. Is he just not like, anymore? Is he completely done? Yeah, he uh, the New York Times Company. Their headline is from culture to book review: a new chapter for A.O. Scott. Uh, no longer the New York Times film critic. Yada yada yada. Yeah. He's a uh, he's just moving to book reviews now. Um, which is uh, a sad state of affairs for the film criticism. Yeah. Not just because. Uh, well, maybe uh, he can at even least if get I himself, don't like his work, get himself you know? away from that rag, the New York Times. And that, that's yeah, that's you a separate thing. But yes, paper, you yeah. fucking bastards. Yeah, fuck the New York Times. Yeah. What the fuck? This open transphobia bullshit yeah. endangering people's lives. Go fuck yourselves, board, you fucks. Yeah. God damn. There's fucking... only there's like six newspapers left in this country, and that's what you devote column space to. You no. fucking pieces of shit. Um, but anyway, shout out to Ao Scott. <laughs> yeah. And um... Michael Phillips, who I'm sure is a fine person too. <laughs> <laughs> I I remember some, watching some of his stuff at the movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So support film critics you like. Uh, check out their work. If they have uh, something you you can subscribe to to support them, go do that. Um, fuck the New York Times editorial board. And uh, I guess check out Meg if you're interested. I don't It's really on care. Netflix for however long Netflix exists. Yeah, and then watch The Other Side of the Wind and then you're like, oh, all right, movies. Yeah, watch um, The Other Side of the Wind and then uh, The Loving One I'm Dead because it looks like Netflix is starting to take like programming off. 
Yeah. Hey, they were supposed to fucking release the other side of the wind on Blu-ray by now. Yeah. What the? F- where? Where is that? It didn't. I. I could have sworn they were like they announced they had given it to Criterion, but then something happened. Like, I'm gonna investigate this after the show. It is. The- is like the the rights like coming back as someone being like actually I still own the other side of the wind, <laughs> which feels like it would happen. Yeah, like, or was Peter classic or, Orson, or is like the contract like Peter Bogdanovich wrote? So long as I'm alive, it'll get a physical <laughs> release, and then he fucking <laughs> dropped dead. No. So I'm gonna miss Peter Bogdanovich just popping up in documentaries about old Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'd be like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" Because <laughs> I had no idea who he was for a long time. But yeah. hey, last movie, it chapter two. That's wild. That's wild's a word for it. All right, everyone, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Like and subscribe if you didn't like this episode. Like and subscribe anyway because you might find something you do like. Uh, thanks for listening again. Thanks for watching. Uh, we have been professionally unprofessional. Mank. Mm-hmm.